Hey, Rockbridge, I hope everybody is doing great. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you at any of our six locations. Also welcome those of you who are watching us online. Thanks so much for, uh, for tuning in. As we continue to, uh, to navigate through a series that really we've been talking about and navigating through a question since the beginning of the year, and it's transitioned into this series called Battle Tested. And the question, just to remind us, is this, do we want a future based on what we can do or do we want a future based on what God can do? And we've been leaning into that, and we've been examining our hopes and our prayers, and we've been talking about dependence upon God. And a lot of us, and it's so cool to hear story after story and see how people are praying and encountering God in a fresh way as we're pushing into only what He can do or what He wants to do. And what we've learned, though, is that God battle tests us to prepare us to receive what he can do. Now today we're going to talk about a very specific test, a very important test. It's probably the test of all tests. It's one you face in every conversation, in every interaction, in every decision you make, in every choice you make. There, this, is, this test shows up. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, before we get to the test, I want us to remember something about what Jesus is doing. We need to remember that Jesus is the King of Kings, and he is in the process of establishing his kingdom. And a kingdom is simply a, a, a visible demonstration of the rule of God over every area of life. And, and a ruler or a king has authority and he has subjects that are under that authority. And so today we're going to talk about authority. And it's the steering wheel test. It's the question of what authority am I under? Now I will go ahead and tell you this to kind of get us ready. Because we bristle at authority and because authority is such a, we have such crazy reactions to it. Some of us have been abused by authority. Some of us mistrust authority. Some of us submit to authority without question. Some of us have been hurt by the authority of the church. Some of us have been hurt by the authority uh, of a parent. And so authority just comes kind of with, as a loaded question. But it is absolutely the question that we face if we're going to be a part of and participate in and active in the kingdom of God, we've got to make sure we're under the authority of the king. And this is so subtle and so crazy about how easily we can drift out from under the authority of God without even knowing it. So, and just to illustrate this, I, I just want to ask you a generic question. H how do you typically make decisions? If you had to sort of say, you know what, this is what I do. Some of us, you know, we're very intellectual. We're very rational. Some of us, it's, it's man, if it feels good, do it. If, if it looks good, take it. Some of us, you know, it's like, well, I just sort of go with what's, what's in vogue. What's in, what's the, what are people saying? What's popular opinion? And so we're kind of all over the map. But here's the point. Whenever you make a decision, something has authority over it as you make that decision. Whether it's your gut, your emotions, your perspective. You took a poll of your five best friends and you just went with that. So whenever you make a decision, you are operating under some form of authority. Now, now I want to go to the first authority test that we find in Scripture. And it's, it's our friends Adam and Eve, right? And, and listen to what happened. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious 
and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Now, that's like, that sounds like, you know, how we choose what to buy at the store or sounds like how the bachelor is going to choose his next bride. I mean, that's just sort of what it sounds like, right? I mean, if you evaluated some of your more recent decisions, you would say something like, well, it looked right. It felt right. You might say, well, he did it or he, she gave it to me or everybody else was doing it. In fact, if you look at Eve's decision-making process, you see a lot of the things that formulate your, my decisions and your decisions. You see her valuing physical things or, or what we might call materialism. You see her perspective. It's her perspective, how I see it. It's, it's what, she, what I perceive. You see the pleasure principle. Hey, it's going to feel good. It's going to taste good, which another word for that is hedonism. You see the emotions are involved. You see in Adam, he's just trying to people please and please his wife. And that's the authority that he's operating under. And, and that's the, 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 the challenge that we have with authority is to understand what authority are we actually operating under. Because she's supposed to be and Adam's supposed to be under the authority of God, but they're not. To show you how crazy this is and how challenging this is, I, I'm going to show you a quote. And it's a quote from a Christian. I'm not going to tell you the issue. I'm not going to tell you a name. But it's a quote from a Christian who has moved into some realm of, of belief or pursuit that has, has proven, later has proven to be false. But I want you to listen to what this Christian says. And then you ask yourself, what authority are they under? I feel like God led me to blank. I really feel like God pushed me in this direction. I feel like if I was deceived or if it was deceitful in my spirit, God would be telling me enough's enough, but I don't feel that. I pray about it. I've said, Father, should I be wasting my time on this? And I don't have the feeling that I should stop. Now, I ask you, whose authority is she under? But how often could we just say the same thing? And so we have this challenge today. Battle tested. We want to be a part of what God's going to do. And God's a king with authority. So we got to make sure we're under his authority. Because that's where God's going to do what God's going to do. And, and the challenge that I have, and I think we have to wrestle with, is this. If feelings, pleasure, personal perspective, popular opinion, etc., etc., are authoritative, then what kingdom are we really under? And the reason I think we're facing such challenges in the American church is the American church has lost touch with the authority of God. You see it in how divided we are. You see it in how we talk to other believers. You see it in, in how we operate with, well, this is what I believe. What's the basis for what you believe? You? Me? Well, this is how I feel. Well, I heard somebody on YouTube say. So we're wrestling at this point in the history of the American church with serious issues of what's really authoritative. 
Is it what Matt Evans says? It better not be. Is it what your gut tells you? It better not be. Is it what some guy claiming to be a prophet says on a YouTube channel? Better not be. So what is it? Well, fortunately for us, because of the grace of God to us, we're not the first Christians to deal with this. In fact, and this is our main passage, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul warns Timothy. We're probably in the, in the early 60s AD, so we're 30 years from the resurrection happening, and we're already having authority issues, okay? So there's nothing new under the sun. But let's look at what Paul tells Timothy. He says, I want you to know something, Timothy. Hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unlovable, unloving, excuse me, irreconcilable slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. So looking spiritual, but not tapping into the, the power of the spirit. And he says, avoid these people. Now, now go back and look, look what he starts with, lovers of self. That self is in the authority seat. That st- self is holding the steering wheel. Keep going down. We're disobedient to parents. We disregard the authority that parents have. We give authority to money, right? Proud and boastful. We give authority to our ego as we've been talking about humility. You just go on and on and on. He says, look, there's going to come a time. When people are just going to go their own way and pursue their own things and they'll be out from underneath the authority of God and they may even look godly, but they don't have the power of God behind them. And so he's saying to Timothy, he says, look, wrong authority will always lead in a wrong direction. Wrong authority will lead in a wrong direction. Eve could say that, right? Adam could say that, right? I could tell you my story and you could tell me your story. Whether you believe in Jesus or not or God or not, we could all tell a story of, man, I followed my gut and it led me to a dead end. We could all tell a story of, man, I went with the crowd and I should have gone with my conviction. We could all tell the story of, hey, I gave too much authority to money and I lost my family for a season. I gave too much authority to the way that drug made me feel. And yet, we've still got people in the church saying, well, this is what I believe. This is what I feel. And so we got to wrestle with this authority test and get to the bottom of it. In in fact, Paul continues to unpack the challenge that was going on in this particular church, which is the church at Ephesus. He says, look, there's some people who are worming their way into households and deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions. We don't know exactly what's going on in Ephesus. There's a theory that you had some uh, widows who were being susceptible to some false uh, teaching and stuff like that. But look at what's leading them. A variety of passions, emotions that are leading them astray. And look, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. The implication in that phrase, always learning, is there's a lot of people and they just follow fads. They follow trends. They're looking for the new. I've met people over the years. You know, I've been here back in Dalton, Rockbridge, getting close to 20 years, if you can believe it. And and I'll have people come and I I just want to go to the happening church. And they'll stay for six months, six weeks. 
then they're gone. Or, or the trendy preacher personality on, on the internet. Christians get faddish and trendy. And Paul's like, hey, always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And so Paul begins to, to, to steer the conversation away from these other forms of authority and say, look, we've got to have an authority. We've got to come underneath truth. But then we have to stop for just a second and recognize something. We have trouble with the truth. We have the capacity to twist the truth. And, and we need to recognize this. All of us, every single person, me included, have biases, tendencies, desires, passion, and itches. Longing to be acknowledged and to become authoritative, even at the expense of the truth. We will twist the truth. We will contort the truth. There, there, there's even this psychological thing called confirmation bias. It explains why conservative people only watch Fox News and liberal people only watch MSNBC. Because you only want to hear what you already believe. You can do that with spiritual things too, you know. This is what Paul says in chapter 4. He says, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. Well, who's authoritative? What's authoritative? Their own desires. And so they'll go looking for teachers, preachers, who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And so we'll twist the truth. And we'll go searching for things that make us feel good or feel this way or feel that way. And it'll come at the expense of the truth and we'll be following a different or a, a different authority. And, and, and recognize this, all of us, we have different biases and different tendencies based on our culture, our families, our personal preferences and our generations. And some generations, like, you know, the World War II generation, a great generation, the great Americans, right, lean heavily on tradition. And, and the tendency is, you know, you could put tradition over truth. Baby boomers came of age with this great economic expansion, and baby boomers can easily follow economic prosperity as their authority. My generation is called the me generation. We're into self-help. Hey, if Christianity helps you, great. If it doesn't, go find something else that does. It's not about truth. It's about does it help me or not in my immediate, right? The generation that was born after 9-11 is called the Homelanders because the Homeland Security Agency or Department was created after 9-11. And think of all the crises that have happened since 2001. You have 9-11. You have <clears throat> the Great Recession. Now you have a pandemic, right? And you have a, a recession induced by that. And so that generation has a tendency toward fear and insecurity. And those things can become authoritative. So we all have these influences. And what Paul is going to say now is, hey, listen, listen, listen. In spite of all those tendencies, in spite of the drift, in spite of the passions, in spite of the desires, in spite of the fads, in spite of the, the inclination to follow your gut, I'm going to give you the authority of the king and how it's expressed. And here's what he says. Skip into verse 14. He says, but as for you, Timothy, so you're going to do it differently. You're going to be under a different authority. I want you to continue in what you have learned and come to firmly believe or firmly believe. You know those who taught you and know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, the written words of God 
which are able to give you wisdom. You don't get wisdom by being you. You receive wisdom from your king through his words to you. For, to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he makes this astonishing claim. And I, before I read it, let me just say this, okay? I, I turned 46 this week, all right? So I can't say this much longer. But if you're my age or younger, you are, going, you are growing up in an era that rejects absolute truth. And you, t- you may say you're a Christian, but your tendency is going to not believe the truth as contained in the Word of God. Now, if you're my, if you're my age, you're older or a little bit older than me, right? Your tendency is the opposite. It's you, you tend to, your generation, your culture is, hey, it's the Word of God. So you just got to recognize that. But look what the Word of God says about the Word of God. He says, all Scripture is inspired. The better way is God-breathed. So if God is truth and God gives something or inspires something, it's true. So all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, teaching truth, rebuking and correcting. So God's word is not always going to make you feel like you want to feel. It's going to shave and ruffle and adjust us. Why? For training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped, which is literally super equipped, for every good work. So we're being trained to live as kingdom seekers, as members of the kingdom of God, by the word of God. Which makes sense, right? Because how is authority expressed in a business, in a house, in a government? There's words, right? Signed words, written words, texting. Hey, have dinner ready by, put the kids to bed. Hey, can you help me with this? It comes through words. So our king speaks through words. And so the front line test of authority is the scriptures. The scriptures. What we would call the 66 books of the Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're in an era where scriptural authority is being challenged or being laid aside, even by people who claim to be Christ followers, even by churches who say they are Christian. And it shows up in our lives too, because it's the authority test. And so I think every church and every Christian in America needs to ask three questions. Needs to ask three questions. The first question is, is the Bible true? Is the Bible true? It claims to be. We could talk about archaeology and how it supports Scripture. We could talk about a lot of things, but that's just the question. Is the Bible true? Second question, okay, you can say it's true, but let's take it a step further. Is the Bible words about God or is it the words of God? It's a big difference, right? Is the Bible just about God or is it really the words of God? But the ultimate question is this. Is the Bible authoritative see I really think our collective response as Christ followers has been exposed by 2020 that we'll say oh yeah I believe in the Bible but we don't live like it we don't talk like it we don't act like it And if God is going to do something that only God can do, and you can study revival, and you will see in every revival, 
there was a renewed passion, hunger, and commitment for the words of God in the scriptures. Every time. It was not somebody following their gut. It was not somebody guessing. It was the authoritative scripture. Our church was founded with this phrase, our only tradition is the Bible. And I just want to remind us of that and understand the power, the potential in that. So I, let, me, let me stop for a second. I, I'll be real personal. I, I, I want to share with you why I believe the Bible is true and authoritative and that the Bible are the words of God. This is my answer to that question. All right, and I'll show it in scripture. But I just want to challenge you because here's what I know, okay? Here's what I know. I know way too many people, including myself, who will say the Bible is true and then act not in accordance with the Bible in everyday and routine matters. And I just want us all to leave here this weekend with either a commitment to answering these three questions and seeking them out. If I can help you, you shoot me an email, matt, M-A-T-T, at rockbridge.cc. I will be happy to help you. And, and if we're going to say the Bible is authoritative, then we really put ourselves under the authority of the words of our king in our marriages, with our money, with our politics, with our social media posts, with our jobs, with our kids, with our attitudes, with our actions. Because God wants to do something, but he'll do it for the people living in his kingdom. And he's a king with authority that he expresses and communicates through his word. So here's my answer, just my answer, okay? And again, you wear your armor, not mine. First is the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. It's a historical fact. The same standards they used to put, you know, George Washington was the first president of the United States. Those same historical standards can be applied to the resurrection of Jesus. And we can say historically he rose from the dead, which to me validates everything he said and verifies his identity as God, the son of God. And he said, this is what he said. He said, God, your word is truth. This is what he said. He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me, but if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? Jesus' words and the words of Moses, authoritative, coming from God. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. That's two of the major three sections of the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. In Mark 12, 35, he affirms the other third sec section of the Old Testament as all from God and thus authoritative. My second reason is Paul's testimony has won my trust. I have no explanation for how a man went from being a terrorist of the Christian faith to becoming a proponent, a missionary, a pastor, a preacher, and the author of 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Other than the explanation, he had an actual encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And then Paul says this about his words. This is why we thank God for you, talking to the church at Thessalonica, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God, which, also, which works effectively in you who believe. You welcomed it. You welcomed it and received it as authoritative. Third reason, I consistently connect with the living God through his word. I used to read the Bible for information. 
I read it now for connection with God. It's like I read a text from my wife or an email or a letter or a phone conversation. See, the Bible teaches us the word of God is alive and powerful. Jesus said it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The flesh is what you and I can do. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. When we interact with God's words, we're interacting with God. Jesus said this in John 15, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce food if fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So in other words, you're not going to do anything of value unless you do it with God's power in you. Do you want a future based on what you can do or what God can do? So you have to remain in him to get connected to what he can do. How do we remain in him? Remain in me, Jesus said, and my words remain in you. So if I remain in his words, I'm remaining in him. And then finally, we are designed to live under God's authority and we desperately need it. If we can't agree on what's final and authoritative, the American church has no hope to be unified. And we need unity. In the midst of our diversity, we need unity. But if their authority over there is what they feel and their authority over there is the current political position and their authority over there is something trending on social media, we're in trouble as a church in America. We will never have the power to turn the tide. We will never have the waves of revival affect our nation or ourselves the way we need to. The same goes for you and me. If one day I'm led by a bad emotion, if the next day I'm led by the dollar, if the next day I'm led by the crowd, but oh, I believe in God, I'm in trouble. Because the wrong authority always leads in the bad direction. So I just want to propose a simple question and a very clear answer for making decisions and being under the authority of God. We all have asked, well, what do you think? What do you believe? How do you feel? Well, follow your heart. It's terrible. Dangerous. Here's the question. What does the Bible say? And then live it out. That's it. That's it. And, I, and that's it. I, I, so I've got a difficult conversation at work. What do I think? What do I do? What, do I, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? I have got a difficult person in my life. I don't know what it is. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And then live it out. It's that sufficient. It's that powerful. And it's that authoritative. So all I want to do for the rest of our time is really be very, 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 very practical as a church. And just show you this in practice. So that hopefully you can replicate it and it will bless you in your own life. So let me give you three things and we'll give you some practice on this. All right, the first one is this. You have to pay attention to the tension. When you encounter God's word, there's going to be a clash of authority. The authority could be your emotion, your gut, what you've always done, and then what God's word says. So that tension, you got to pay attention to it. Because it's in that tension where you're going to make your choice of what's going to be your authority. What's going to be your authority? What's going to be your authority? I'll go home after this message, and I'm always tired. And I give my tiredness authority for how I usually speak to my wife after I preach. I'm not operating under the kingdom of God. There's a tension. I'm tired, but I need to reconnect with my bride. What's going to win? I'll face it in about an hour from now. 
pay attention to the tension, identify the imposter. The imposter is what, the way I feel. The imposter is I'm a people pleaser. The imposter is, hey, I'm just mad. I'm just mad. Identify the imposter. And then understand this, to follow Christ is to trust and obey his word no matter what. To trust and obey his word no matter what. That's how you follow the king, you obey his teachings. So let's, let's have some practice. I think we've been in a year and a season where we get a, a slew of bad news. A slew of bad news. And a lot of us are derailed by it. A lot of us feel defeated by it, depressed by it. And we can give authority to our current events. We can give authority to our emotions in response to those current events. But God gave me this verse when we were getting a slew of bad news when Beth was battling leukemia. Let's pay attention to tension, identify the imposter, and trust and obey his word no matter what. Here it is. He will not fear bad news. His heart is confident trusting in the Lord. Doesn't say we won't get bad news. Just says we won't fear it. The imposter is the emotion of fear. The tension is I fear bad news more than I trust God. But I'm going to trust God and just trust that no matter what, ultimately he is for my good. That's, the, that's it. So that's just one example. And you just bump into that in the word of God and you've got to give it authority. Identify the tension, identify the imposter, trust and obey. Let's say you've got conflict or difficult relationship. Let's talk about racial conflict. It's all here in Scripture. So you're reading Galatians. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. So, so you stop for just a second when you see that. You're like, man, I've got conflict. And when I have conflict, I just post things on social media. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Maybe I should talk one-on-one -on -one to people. I shouldn't just blast someone. Maybe I should talk to them. That's biblical. That seems what Paul did. Talk to them, not about them. That's biblical, right? But again, it's easier to post something on your Facebook rather than talk to someone to their face. But what's biblical? Which is going to have authority? So identify the tension. Identify the imposter. He says, for what he did was very wrong. Uh, other translations say Peter stood condemned. Well, what did Peter do? When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, with some friends of Jesus came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Peter is engaging in bigotry and racism. He's favoring ethnic Jewish Christians over non-ethnic or non-Jewish Gentile Christians. It's racism. And he's one of the 12 of Jesus. Now, I, I have some people who, who, who will say, but yeah, but racism's not that big a deal right now. It says right here it's very wrong. And no matter if it shows up in the cafeteria with you, who you eat with and who they eat with and you won't eat with them, or, or, or it shows up in violence, what do we need to do to it? We oppose it. But it's not comfortable. Which has authority? Your comfort or the Word of God? Wrestle with it. Pay attention to the tension. Identify the imposter and trust God through his word no matter what, right? He was afraid of criticism. <laughs> Can relate. He's a people pleaser. From these people who insisted on the necessity 
of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. What are they being hypocritical about? The gospel is for everybody. The gospel creates one human race. Listen to me. The gospel creates one human race under the authority of one king who died for everyone who would call on him Lord and Savior. Right? So, but, but so powerful. And that's not Matt's opinion, I promise. That is in the word of God. We just read it. I continue to hear this. How can a Christian vote democratic? They can't. I got this one this week. If you voted for Trump as a Christian, you were wrong. Does the word of God speak to that? You bet it does. You bet it does. Let's look at it. Paul's writing to a divided church. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. So that tells me, God, I got to be careful about things that might divide. And in his politics, a die in the, is that, is who someone voted for, is that going to divide the church? So he goes on, he says, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Some of you are saying, I follow Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. And others are saying, I follow Peter. And some are saying, I follow only Christ. And he says, has Christ been divided into factions? So he's, look what he's saying. Be very careful about following a personality and allowing the personality you follow to divide your church. That's the word of God. So then I keep going. I'm still asking this question. Okay, but, 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 okay. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew. So now we've eliminated ethnic divisions. Circumcision and uncircumcision, religious practice, barbarian Scythian. Scythians would be these rude, crude people, barbarians to the north, Scythians to the Black Sea. So they're outside of the government of Rome, but they're coming together in Christ. And he says, slave and free, economic divisions, but Christ is all and in all. I'm like, whoa. So in Christ, things that should be divisive are subordinated to bring us together in unity. Okay, but I, I know what some of you are thinking. But the guy they voted for or the party they voted for believes in things that are sinful and wrong. So you can't be a Christian and act like that or vote like that. So here's what I want to ask you. Are we prepared to make political affiliation the unpardonable sin? Are we? Whenever, whoever speaks the word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. So you can speak against Jesus and you can get forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. Now what that means is the Holy Spirit is the one who shines the light on Jesus Christ to show us our need for him. And the only sin that cannot be forgiven is rejecting Jesus. And did anybody in this room become perfect after you became a Christian? 
What happened is your relationship with Jesus changed, and then Jesus progressively changes your beliefs and your behaviors. So I ask you, not asking your opinion, if we're under the authority of Scripture, should how we vote divide our homes or divide our churches? I can't find it in Scripture where it should. Yet we're letting it. We're letting it. Some people have said, ask me about various conspiracy theories, QAnon, the election. And I'm not going to get into the truth of those, but I'm going to get into, should that be our focus even? Does the Word of God speak to that? Yeah, sure it does. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. So if I'm arguing and debating something that doesn't promote faith and love and doesn't really bring about the fruit of the Spirit or helping lost people be saved, my focus is off. Now, I love reading a good mystery, and I love kind of politics. I mean, I do all that. I'm speculating who's going to win the Super Bowl. But the authority of the Word of God cautions us about getting caught up in things that distract from God's plan, which operates by faith, and the goal of which is love. And have any of this debate has it made the church any more loving? Then we need to come back under the authority of the Word of God. I know what I'm saying is not popular right now. But I really believe it's truth. Not my truth. God's truth. Just this week, last week, excuse me. I was facing an issue, a situation. And... Uh, I wrote in my journal, I said, God, and, and I'll just tell you, my emotions were, it was so bizarre. I was so frustrated. I was so disappointed. And I wrote in my journal, I said, God, I have no handlebar for how to handle this. Question mark. And I sat there. And my faith was like. And God brought a scripture to mind which is how Jesus said God would work. He called to mind the things of the Spirit, right? That's what he told his followers. And here was the scripture. Remember, I don't know how to handle this, God. And God's like, yeah, you do. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. So, Matt, don't make this about you. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Matt, in that situation, you've got to represent Jesus. That's how you handle it. How did Jesus handle disappointment? He called his betrayer, Judas, his friend. How did Jesus handle disappointment? He hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Pay attention to the tension. Identify the imposter. Trust God no matter what. And obey his words.
I wanted you to hear me. The greatest place to live in the world, it's not the United States of America. It's not the South. It's not the lake. It's not the beach. It's not the big city. It's inside the kingdom of God. And I believe God's asking two things. He's asking some of you to come back under his authority. And you know exactly where he's pointing because that's what he does. He loves you too much to let you go away. And he's asking you right now, come back. There's another group of people. and He's inviting you to come under his authority and receive his love for the first time. I really believe everybody listening to me, it's one of those two. Come under, new king, new life, new Lord, new eternity. Number one. Number two, come back. Come back. Come back. Under the authority of the king who died for you. Let's pray together. Um, God, so I know I've probably said something wrong, and I ask that it's just been forgiven. I know, God, that um, there's just probably a lot of uh, openness and rawness, but Lord, um, I need to just make sure I'm standing on the authority of Scripture, not my opinion, not my perspective. And I pray that all of us right now would recognize that the king's authority comes through the king's words. And the king himself wants his people to live fully under his authority. And the king himself died for rebels to bring them back under his authority. God, I pray, I pray, I pray that the voice people are hearing right now is not my voice, but it's the voice of the king. It's the voice of the king. And may all of us obey the voice of the one who loves us best. In the name of the king we pray, Jesus Christ, amen.